Many of you know that I, uh, I tend to read, and I have a habit of reading the same books over and over and over. I really enjoy, even though reading is hard for me, there's some stories that I'm a sucker for. And when I get into it, it's, it's almost overwhelming for me. And in week one, I, I, I brought a quote from what could be my favorite book series of all time. And the quote simply was, open war is upon you whether you would risk it or not. Can anyone tell me what series this is from? Great. You're wrong. No, it's, come on. Give it, give it. It's from Lord of the Rings. It's from Lord of the Rings. This is one of those series that I read um, constantly. And in J.R.R. Tolkien's first book, what's the first book in the series? Uh, it's not Fellowship of the Ring. The first book in the series is The Hobbit. The Hobbit is the first book. This is the first one that he wrote. And um, this book uh, is phenomenal. I read this almost every single year because it's my favorite story. It's my favorite story. I even went down a rabbit hole to find out that an original copy was like $14,000 last night. So Merry Christmas to me, somebody, you know? Um, <laughs> You know, I, I read this book so much because the story itself is beautiful. And if you've never, ever read this, what you should know is that hobbits are amazing. Hobbits are these amazing tiny creatures, uh, about half the size of humans, who like to sit at home. They want to have meals together. They want to throw parties together. They like to dance together. And to cap off the night is a pint and a pipe, and it's a good night. Hobbits live a very good life, but they don't like adventure. And The Hobbit is a book that is all about how... A hobbit named Bilbo Baggins finds himself on an adventure that he never intended to be on. And so as he goes on this adventure, it's, it's combined with a gaggle. I'm going to use that word because I don't know what you call a group of dwarves, but that's what we're going to do. He's with this group of dwarves. He's with a wizard. And there comes a moment that they have a very odd encounter with three trolls that are huge. And after they defeat them they start to hunt in the cave of the trolls. They're trying to get all of their treasure. So they start to sift through this troll cave. They find two of the most miraculous, legendary swords of all time. So, of course, the party leaders get that. And as they are leaving, in the dirt, forgotten, walked over, left, is a blade. It's a small blade in a little leather scabbard. There's nothing particularly beautiful about it. And the wizard, Gandalf, takes it, finds it, and he hands it to Bilbo Baggins, saying, here, this is yours. And what's interesting about this sword, and it would probably have been about twice the size of this, maybe about six inches more. It's only about 16 to 22 inches long. It's very tiny. The dwarves actually joke about it being nothing more than a letter opener. And they're like, you can't do anything with this. What's funny is, is that even in the smallest hands, what wouldn't work for us becomes a perfect sword for a hobbit. And what Bilbo is told but doesn't understand is that this sword that he holds is different than any other weapon, that this sword has powers that no other weapons has. It can cut through the hide of enemies like no other mortal sword can. It has uh, the ability to shine when enemies are near so bright that it disorients them, that it knocks them and scares them, and, and it becomes a weapon in and of itself just because of the glow. 
And so what Bilbo does is he takes it, and you know what he does with the, the blade when he first gets it? They don't quite show it in the movie, but it's in the book as he takes it, and he hides it in his pants. He hides it because he doesn't know how to use it. He doesn't want to use it. He has no idea what to do, and it's not until he finds himself in one of, uh, alone, in peril, that he takes out his sword, and he wields it on his own, not sure what to do, and the blade glows and it begins to take on a personality all of its own, very similar to Captain America's shield like we talked about a couple weeks ago. This sword gets its own little name. Does anybody know the name of the sword? Excalibur. No. Sting. The name of the sword becomes Sting, and Sting is passed down from generation to the next generation, constantly vanquishing enemies and saving these hobbits. I will tell you that as followers of Jesus, as we go into battle against this unseen enemy, we do not go into battle unarmed. We too are given a sword, a weapon that honestly is so small, it's overlooked in a little leather scabbard thrown around but it is, it is infused with power and authority like no other weapon that we could wield, that no one understands until you put it in your hands and you wield it yourself. The last piece of armor that we are given, that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, is the sword. And so would you stand with me as we read for one last time in this series from Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and if it's in bold, would you do me a favor, since this is our last time reading it together, nice and bold, so that those who are online hear you. Sound good? All right, let's read this together. It starts with, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In addition to all, oh, there we go, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit. Let's say that again. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Now, just like the last couple of pieces of armor that we have looked at, our sword will be both defensive and offensive. We know defensive because it parries any attacks that do come our way, but we have a shield to stop those arrows that are coming with us. But the blade itself, this sword of the spirit is unique because it's the only piece of armor that gets a clarifier. If you look, it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul tells us what this is, and the sword is used on the offense. This is used for attacking the enemy, and to a Roman soldier, the sword was their victory. Now, the Romans, what's interesting is they had multiple types of swords that they would use when they went into battle. Um, one of them that they had was a gladius. Have you ever seen one of these, a gladius? They're longer swords. They look similar to this sword right here. And usually they are about four to five feet long. 
and you might remember it from the, the movie Gladiator, right? That's where it was, we see it a lot. The Gladius was sometimes so big you needed two hands to wield it. But when Paul's writing this passage to the church in Ephesus, under Roman guard, he's not looking at this sword. This is not what the Roman guard would have been holding. Instead, he's looking at a guy that looks more like this. This sword that would have been held is small. It's more like a knife or a dagger that this is what most of the foot soldiers would carry. And the, the word for this is kipos. Say that with me. Kipos. This was the name of the sword. It's unbelievably sharp, double-edged, and again, around 18 to 24 inches long and weighed about a pound or two. It was perfect for hand-to-hand -hand combat. If you've got this giant shield and you're getting all up on somebody, you don't have time to double-wield the sword. So you would be able to pull something small out because if you could get close to the enemy, you were faster than they were with a shorter sword. And so it was perfect to get in the face of the enemy. This is what God gives us, a short sword that in our hands wields power so that when the enemy gets up in our face, trying to dismantle everything in our life, when he's attacking our kids, our spouse, our job, this is the moment when we're taking blow after blow, that cross bridge, when the enemy is in our face, this is the moment we need the sword of the spirit more than anything else. Not just for defense, but we are called to push back. We are called to push back and do some damage, take some ground that the enemy is trying to take away from us. And so when Paul is writing this, he says, you are given a sword. And your sword is the word of God. But what do we mean as followers of Jesus when we use the phrase word of God? I mean, I hear that a lot. We use it a lot. And, and what we mean is very simply that it's the books and the letters that have been collected over thousands of years put together into one book that we call the Bible. It's filled with about 66 books, but th this is what we would refer to as the word of God. And what's interesting is that as the Bible itself, this whole collection talks about the Word of God, they use three different words to describe the Word of God, which is very unique. And in the Greek, the first of the words that it uses is graphe, okay, graphe. This is literally the words on the page, okay? If you have a Bible and you open it up, or you have a Bible on your phone, your phone app, and you see ink on paper or pixels brighter than others, you know, if you're looking at text, that is the graphe, right? That is it. This is how we know the Word of God. It's the printed words on a page. But the second Greek word is logos, okay, logos. How many of you have heard that word before? Okay, logos. Logos is basically the message of the graphe. Okay, what's in this? Once we have the book, then we're supposed to learn the message of the book. This is the themes, the ideas, the teachings that speak into our lives in a way that other books might not. It will read different than The Hobbit does, right? I like the way that the author of Hebrews says it. In Hebrews chapter 4, he says, For the word of God is, what are those words there? Alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It does what? It 
judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Just like sting could cut through the hides of enemies that no mortal sword could, the word of God has the ability to walk through our thoughts, to walk through our attitudes. It gets deeper into our mind and souls to help us understand which of my thoughts right now are from God and which are from the world, which areas of my life need to be conformed to the image of Christ and which are being conformed to the image of evil. It reshapes our whole being from the inside out. And what's interesting, though, is Neither of these two words, graphe or logos, are the word that Paul uses here. He says that the, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and this is our weapon. And the Greek word that he's using here is rima, okay, rima, which is the personal spoken word of God. This is when someone is teaching uh, through the Bible, you're hearing it, and it's as they talk, you feel like in any moment, you're like, oh my gosh, did they write that Bible study? Did they write that message with me in mind? How did they know this is exactly what I'm dealing Has anybody ever else thought that besides me? Show me, show me some hands here. Okay, this is, I hear this all the time about Crossbridge. I have felt this as I've sat in the seats at Crossbridge from our teaching team, knowing, oh my gosh, did you write that thinking of me? Are you trying to convict me? Right, there is something about the personal spoken word of God that cuts into our life to shape us, to be conformed to the image of Christ. But here's what I want to tell you is this is not something that just happens on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night in our services. This is something that happens throughout the week. You know, uh, this week I found myself running behind um, and, and I was really frustrated with my rhythm being cut off. So I went to a place that I normally work at during the week and you know, I'm out and about in our town constantly working at different shops and restaurants and whatever, and uh, if there's Wi-Fi, I'm there. So uh, I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, and I decided that I would dive into the Bible just because I didn't get the time in the morning. And one of the employees there who I've, I've really come to enjoy, like our time together when I get to talk to them, they said to me, oh, what are you reading? And they know that I'm a pastor, and I was like, Proverbs. And I was like, it's great. I'm loving it. Have you ever read it? And they looked at me and they're like, ah. And that's always the uh, pastoral response, like the response to a pastoral question that you don't want to answer. And you're like, ah, you can't keep saying it. No, you know, no, no, I haven't read the Bible in a long time. And I was like, oh, man, you are missing out. Missing out? That book's old. What in the world could you have read today? And I was like, well, today this is what I'm thinking about. And I, I, I'm reading through Proverbs day by day. I, I, all I did was open up to Proverbs. I read the one verse that I was trying to meditate on that day. It wasn't like I preached a message. It wasn't like I tried to get deep in, well, the Greek rima. You know, no, 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 no. This is the verse. And as I read it out loud, I watched the disposition of this employee change completely. I watched tears fill their eyes. Something was happening in their soul that I did not understand. 
that I was not privy to what God was doing in this moment. I just knew something was happening. And they did all they could to just gather themselves. That's cool. I didn't know that was in there, Jimmy. Yeah, I didn't know that was in there. Like, I, I mean, what do you say to that? Like, that, this, is, this is why I love the Bible. I'm amazed at how something that's over 3,000 years old can still today cut so deep into our lives in a way that, let's be honest, your words and my words cannot do. Your words and my words don't bring the comfort that this brings, the conviction that this brings, the hope that this brings. They don't. And I know that that employee did not need to see me that day. They needed a word from God. They needed the Rima. They didn't need the Grafe. They, they, they didn't really understand the logos because they couldn't get into it, but it was the Rima. It was the words. It was the meaning behind it that the Spirit could use to do something that I didn't understand. So please hear me that this is not a church thing that pastors do or teachers do. This is something we do as part of the armor of God. We are given the sword to be personally speaking the word of God. We need God's word in our life to kind of combat that, that thinking in our mind to say out loud, this is not the way it should be. I know that when the battles of my life find themselves, uh, or, or they, they just get overwhelming. And I don't know what to do. I know for the Beatles, they say that when they're in times of trouble and in darkness, it's Mother Mary that comes to them. And she speaks great words of wisdom. What does she say? She says, let it be. In my times of trouble and darkness, Mary Mother has never visited me. And I'm going to be honest. If I just let it be, things get worse. They don't get better. In those times, more than any other times, it is time to open up my Bible. It is time to unsheath the sword. It is time to unsheath the sword. It is not meant to be hidden, and I do not know what battles you are facing right now, but I am telling you, it is time to unsheath the sword. Maybe right now, you find yourself that yet, you're like, what do I do in my battle? This is one of the reasons that I can tell you my my. It's, it's been a struggle. But one of the best disciplines is memorize Scripture. Memorize the Scriptures, which, which is getting harder as I get older. I know that. But this may come as a surprise to you. I don't always have my Bible on me. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> it's in my purse most of the time. I carry a purse. That's right. It's a fan bag. Call it what you want. I carry it with me. I try to be wherever I go. But I'll be candid with you, and this isn't even here. Most of my battles don't happen outside my home. They happen in my head in my home. I'm not walking around with my Bible in my back pocket all of a sudden saying, well, how do I not be anxious about this? How do I not fear in this? I have to have the Word of God hidden in my heart so that it bubbles up when I least expect it. Maybe your battles look different. Maybe you're struggling with your thought life and purity wherever you are, and and you find yourself bombarded in the sexually saturated world that we live in with images and thoughts that you just can't run from. 
instead of clicking to the next place or engaging in that message, what would it look like if you unsheathed your sword, that you took out the word of God or the word of God was in your heart and, and all of a sudden you're remembering Psalm 119, 9 that says, man, how can a young person keep their way pure by living according to your word? I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. You're ready to battle. You're ready to battle. Maybe you move to a place at work where temptation looks different for you and everybody's going out for happy hour, but this is a battle for you that you don't want to fight right now. And you're thinking, what am I supposed to do? Because I want to be with them, and I'm tempted to be with them, but I, I, I don't know. What, what am I supposed to do? Well, my hope is that 1 Corinthians 10 comes to your mind, and you remember that no temptation has overtaken you or seized you, that except what is common to everyone. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you could bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. He will provide, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Can I tell you, this is how followers of Jesus do daily battle. This is how we are supposed to respond when we are attacked. We cannot rely on our own willpower. We cannot rely on great common sense thinking or intelligence. Those are all great. But when it comes to the battle that we deal with in our spiritual life, it is only the sword of the spirit, the word of God that we have to stand on and fight with. And this is because the enemy will do everything he can to separate us from God and from the word of God. If he can't get us... He's going to do everything he can to disarm us. Did you know that? He's going to try anything that he can. And in a sword fight, you can only win in two ways. The first way, you kill them or they kill you. There's victory for somebody. The second way is you disarm them. And if you could disarm them, you can bring them and take them captive. You have won. There's no other options in a sword fight. Satan has the same strategy. And because... The enemy cannot destroy us because of Jesus when we've placed our hope in him. He will try to disarm us, and he disarms us in a couple ways. And the first is when it comes to the word of God, he will attack the credibility of Scripture. Come on, I, I, my whole degree is in the Bible. I know that this book is thousands of years old. I get it. And I know that we live in a completely different world today. I know that for many of us, we hear the lies of the enemy going, it's so old and so boring. Like, this is the worst. Why would I read this when I could not read other books? So it's, I know for many of you, it's, you don't read the Bible, but you don't read other books either. So it's not like you're picking one. You're just not reading anything. Just easy pickings. I know that we could say, the enemy's going to say, how is this any different from the Quran? How is this any different from the Hindu Vedas? How is this any different from from Harry Potter. I know that, that our Bible has a lot of things in common with some of those other books. But it stands out because here's what's amazing, that 66 books written over three to 4,000 different years by so many different types of authors with different vocations, different educational experiences, in different cultures, there is one theme, and it is about a God who desperately loves his people and he will do all he can 
to redeem them and bring them back in a relationship with him. It's the same theme over and over and over, all pointing to Jesus Christ. This is a book that, yes, involves faith to believe. But go ahead and do your homework if you don't believe it. Search it out. Do the work, I promise you. This is more reliable than any other ancient text that you will find. Way more reliable. Don't let him disarm you. The second thing will do to disarm us is to get us to pick and choose, and I think we do this a lot. We treat the Bible like a, a salad bar buffet. We like verses that we could buy at Hobby Lobby that tells us God has a plan for us to prosper us, to, you know, not to harm us for hope in a future, right? These are great things. We'll put it on journals and mugs. We don't like what it says before that it's like, oh, but you're going to find this when you're in 70 years of exile and pain. It's like, no, 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 I like the joy. I don't want the pain. And we go around, and it's like loading up at a buffet. I really am going to get my money's worth on these crab legs because I like them, but I'm leaving the rice over there because it's not what. Listen, we cannot pick and choose. You can't go through the Bible like a buffet and say, I like these verses. I don't like those verses. That's not the way the Word of God works. That means together we will wrestle through the uncomfortable things of Scripture. Are there uncomfortable and awkward things to read about in the Bible? We're in numbers right now. The answer is yes. Right? We know that. Are some of the phrases of Jesus shocking, unnerving? Yes. We can't just say we're not going to read it. We can't just say I like the good things and not the hard things. Because in 2 Timothy 3.16, we find that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That we need all of Scripture. I know that many of us want to live in just the New Testament and say, oh, but the Jesus stuff is good. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. And you probably haven't fully read the New Testament because we know that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He's the God of today of yesterday, of tomorrow. He's the God who always is and always will be. We just have a different picture of God in humanity through Jesus. He's still just as jealous. He's still just as angry, abounding in love, whose mercies are new every morning. This is our God. But the final way that the enemy will try to disarm us is he will try to use it to hurt others. Did you know that the enemy can actually use the Bible to hurt people with Scripture? Did you know that Scripture can be used as a weapon against people? Right? The, this, this is great, and it's like a spiritual battle. But come on, how many of you have ever met someone, and I'll just use the word Bible basher, You've met someone who uses the Bible. It doesn't feel like they're looking to give you hope, to liberate you, but instead they're out to oppress you and beat you to a pulp. There's no healing there. They're trying to control you. They're trying to control the situation. And throughout history, let's just call it for what it is, Satan has absolutely used people to, to twist Scripture for evil purposes. The Bible has been incorrectly used to justify slavery, sexism, racism, 
I have heard of other Jesus followers saying things like, oh, man, it's really sad that you're struggling with depression and anxiety right now. Yeah, if you read the Bible more and you pray more, don't worry about that counseling and the psychiatrist. That medicine, you don't need that. that that's the worst. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't be wrestling with these things God says, you need to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's twisting scripture, just so you know. That is twisting scripture. That's wounding. Go get counseling. Take the medication that you need. That, that's healthy. That's not bad. Do it in Jesus' name. The enemy's doing all he can to disarm us, and I will tell you that he uses scripture to do this. <laughs> and it's not just us, but he's done this with the enemy, or he's done this with Jesus. If you go into Matthew and you see the baptism of Jesus, he goes off into the desert after the baptism, uh, led by the Spirit to fast. And when he's out there, the enemy comes to him. And the enemy says certain things that are very, very interesting in Matthew 40. He says, listen, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? If you're the son of God, why don't you jump off this building? The angels will catch you. It'll be good. If you are the son of God, why don't you bow down to me? And what's interesting is all of the things that the devil is saying to Jesus are all verses in the Bible. They are all quotes from Scripture. He's trying to wield a sword. He's putting the graphe in front of Jesus, and Jesus stops and says, wait a second, let me tell you something. And he uses a phrase that I just absolutely love. He says, yeah, but it is written. Man will sur not survive on bread alone. It is written. Don't test God. It is written, worship God alone. And every time that Jesus comes back with these phrases, it is written. He's quoting from the same exact book every single time. Anybody know? Deuteronomy. He's coming at the devil with Deuteronomy. If you don't think the Old Testament applies to you, Jesus did. That's what he used to fight. So come on. That's what he's picking up. Three times, he's doing hand-to-hand -hand combat with the devil. And, and I know the enemy thought, oh, good, man, he's starving. He's going to love, love to get some bread. In times of fasting, you will find spiritual authority and power that the enemy is never prepared for. And Jesus was at, I think, the peak of his understanding of Scripture, and he wields the sword of God, the word of God. And I wonder today for us, how many of us could stand against the enemy? How many of us, as followers of Jesus, know what Jesus actually says? Not what you've heard him talk about, like, you know, oh, well, well, Pastor Jimmy says this, Pastor Will says that, in my small group I learned about this. No, 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 you've read it. You know it. That when you, someone says, you know where Jesus says, followed by something Jesus never says, you can say, no, I don't know where he says that. Where is that? That you would know the words of Jesus so inside and out that when the enemy comes at you to lie to you, you would say, no, 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 no. I know what Jesus says. I think some of you, you need to put down your phones and turn off the TVs. You need to start picking up Ephesians.
You need to forget about what the news says. You need to know what Jesus says. And I know you're probably thinking, like, Jimmy, I don't, I, I, I don't have time to memorize. Like, you know how hard this is? I, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have time to do this. It's so hard. And here's what I'm going to say. I, I get it. I know how hard it is. It's very difficult for me. I agree. But this is an investment. And we already memorize things, don't we? We memorize song lyrics, sports statistics, video game, you know, uh, combos. How many of you remember the Contra code? Can anyone tell me the Contra code? Come on, give me it. Oh, come on. If you don't know what the Contra code is and you're like, what is this? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A. Start if you're playing alone. Select start if you're playing with a friend. And you are now ready to go with 30 lives. This is doing us a lot of good right now, isn't it? But we have it memorized. How much greater would it be if we knew the words of Jesus that said, seek first my kingdom? Seek first me and what I'm doing. We memorize, and if you're here, you're like, oh, I don't know any of those things. How many Pokemon stats do you have done? How many? How many? How many? We all memorize something. Could you free up some of the gigabytes in your brain to memorize something eternal? That matters. And here's my challenge to you. We've been walking through Ephesians 6 for the last seven weeks. Would you just memorize the armor of God? What are the pieces of the armor of God? And if you've been with us all these weeks, you might even, you might even know them by now. Does anybody remember what the first three are? Okay, we start with the belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, our feet fitted, our shoes of peacemaking, remember? I, I imagine it would be pretty good for us to memorize these. Parents, if you have kids in your home, would you do me a favor, lead by example, and help them prepare for their day by preparing for yours and then doing it with them? Kids, if your parents don't want to do this, guilt them into it. Lead your family. Go ahead. Go ahead. And if they're like, Jimmy, I can't believe you told my kid to do this. Yeah, if you're not going to, sure, someone should. Totally cool with it. I know that for many of you, when it comes to the word of God, you get nervous. I recognize that. That you're worried that you're not going to have the right answers. That, that you don't know enough yet to wield this sword to be able to say to some random employee who asks you what you may be reading and you're never going to have the courage to read that out loud because what if they ask you a question that you have anxiety about like using it wrong? You're worried about maybe the fact that if you actually start reading this, it's going to reveal things in your own life that you don't want to address. And so you avoid it. I want you to know this. You are not alone. You know, when Bilbo received Sting for the first time from Gandalf the wizard, he felt exactly the same way. Check this out. Bilbo! Hmm? Yeah. This is about your size. I can't take this. 
The blade is of elvish make, which means it will glow blue when orcs or goblins are nearby. I have never used a sword in my life. And I hope you never have to. But if you do, remember this. True courage is about knowing not when to take a life, but when to spare one. This is about your size. This is yours. The blade is filled with the spirit. It means that it carries a power and an authority that you don't have on your own. Here, this is your strongest weapon against the enemy. I am begging you today. I am pleading with you. Would you practice with your sword? Would you become familiar with your sword? Do not hide it away. Tucking it away in your pants thinking, you know what? I, I don't want to do this because when you find yourself alone in the dark and unsure of where to go, this is your weapon. And I hope and I pray that you are so familiar with this as part of the rest of your armor that you constantly find yourself taking this out, reading it, practicing with it, understanding that, listen, you will grow in your skill to wield this blade. You don't have to have the answers now. I don't know is a perfect answer to any Bible question. I don't know. I still use it daily. When my kids, when you, when anyone else, Jimmy, what do you think of this? I don't know. But I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to practice. Allow this to transform your heart and your mind to look like Jesus. And when you come to your battles, please remember that true courage, true courage is knowing not when to take a life and trying to beat people with this, but when to spare one. Use your sword to fight the enemy, not each other. To bash, to bash the spiritual unseen world of the devil. But will this be what you use to defend your fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus, not harm them? Hide this in your heart. We have been given this armor. Because open war is upon you whether you would like to risk it or not. And the spiritual life is not a playground. It is a battleground. So as a church, I simply want to ask you as we close our series, if you're a follower of Christ, are you standing in the full armor of God? Do you know that every day is a battle for your heart, your mind, your soul? Or are you still sitting on the ground, complaining, defeated, deflated, distracted by the enemy? Looking at all of those around you fighting, saying life's just not fair. Today I want to encourage you. Would you put on the belt of truth? It starts with the word of God in this. It ends with the word of God. Put on the belt of truth. Strap on 
the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the shoes that are custom fit to you with the good news of peacemaking. Would you lock on the helmet of salvation that is this battle against the enemy for your thoughts? And would you pick up your shield of faith and pick up the sword of the Spirit? Because Crossbridge, we are at war together. I will fight for you. Will you fight for me? And will you fight for the person next to you? This is our battle. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me as Jeremy comes to lead us in communion today? Jesus, I am so thankful. Whew. I am so thankful for the word of God. I am so thankful for your friends that have recorded what you have said so grateful that you spoke life to the lifeless, hope to the hopeless, that you battled the enemy. You parried back and forth with your command of Scripture. Oh, thank you for knowing the Word and inspiring us to do this. Holy Spirit, I ask a special blessing on us that you would give us, light a fire in us to be consumed with a desire to understand this Logos, your Word to hide it in our hearts so that when the enemy comes against us, our helmet of salvation clicks in with these reminders of what you have already said is true. Lord, may we never, ever, ever be a people who wields this word to harm each other. Would we build each other up? Would we train each other and practice with each other? so that we would advance together against the, the kingdom of darkness. That your light may reign here in South Jersey, wherever those who are watching are. May your kingdom come. And all God's people said, amen.